I'm Vanessa Pritchard. Welcome to this podcast from Keep Believing Ministries. Today's message was given by Dr. Ray Pritchard. At Keep Believing Ministries, we want to encourage and equip people to keep believing in Jesus. You can find us online at www.keepbelieving.com. Stay tuned for this special podcast. Let's go to Luke 18 for the message entitled, The Miserable Millionaire. Christ speaks to the problem of misplaced priorities. Now, here's a conversation that made a huge impact on the early church. How do I know that? Because it is mentioned not once, not twice, but three times. It's found in Matthew. It's found in Mark. It is also found in Luke. This is the story of Jesus and the rich Young ruler. As we're going to see, he was truly a miserable millionaire. We pick up the story. Luke 18, verse 18. A certain ruler asked him, Good teacher, what must I do? Now, hold it right there. If you've got a Bible, and you like to mark in your Bible, underline that, highlight that, circle that. Good teacher. What must I do? Here's a young man, a man of means, a man of accomplishment, a man who has done something with his life, who realizes there is something missing. And he wants to know, Jesus, I want eternal life. What must I do? I want my sins forgiven. What must I do? I want to be sure I live with God when I die. What must I do? Good teacher. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Great question. And our Lord answers a question with a question. Verse 19. Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. And now getting down to cases. Verse 20. Jesus says to the young man, You know the commandments. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. Honor your father and mother. Here comes the answer from this rich, young ruler. All these things, he says in verse 21, I have kept since I was a boy. Jesus heard this. He said to him, You still lack one thing. So, I saw a cartoon of a harried man in a car driving down the freeway. He's got one hand on the steering wheel and with the other hand, he's trying to manipulate the map. He's clearly lost his way. And underneath, this was the caption, at 20, I couldn't wait to get on the road. At 30, I learned how to go from zero to 60 in eight seconds. At 40, I found I'd been holding the map upside down. At 50, I discovered I had the wrong map altogether. My friends, that's the story of an entire generation. That's not just the story of the world. That's the story of my generation, the baby boomers. We thought we had it all together. Then we discovered the map was upside down. And then we figured out we've got 
the wrong map altogether. What do you do then? Once, there was a young man with big dreams for his future. He was young, we're told. Maybe he was 25. Maybe he was 30. I do not believe this fellow could have been over 35 years old. Here's the interesting thing. He's been successful early in his life. He's made his money right from the jump. Today we might say he made his money maybe in real estate. We might say today maybe he made his money in the stock market. Maybe if he's hip and cool today, he made his money in cryptocurrency. Who knows? He's 25, he's 30, he's 35, he's sitting on a ton of money. He's rich. He's young. And the Bible calls him a ruler. That means he was respected. That means he was honored. That means he had achieved a position of respect in society at a very young age. A young man with a good position and a lot of money. You would think he's got the world by the tail on a downhill slide. But as the story unfolds, his heart is empty. It's not enough. Money is not enough. Religion is not enough. Status is not enough. Fame is not enough. Being a ruler, whatever that meant, it was not enough. And so, this man came to Jesus. And I pause here to say, here's one difference between the rich young ruler and the young people of today's generation. It's odd because he was wealthy, he was young, and as the text makes clear, he was not an unbeliever. He was a believer in God. Clearly, he'd been raised in an observant Jewish family. He knew what we call the Old Testament. He knew the Torah of God. He knew the law of God. He believed in and tried to practice the Ten Commandments. What do we have here? A rich, young ruler at a very young age has risen to the top. He's, he's a go-getter. He's moral with a capital M. He's a straight arrow in a very crooked world. And yet, he was empty. All of us have heard it said, there's a God-shaped vacuum inside the heart of every person. And that's exactly right. We were made to know God. We were made to know Him. And if you do not fill that God-shaped vacuum with God, you will fill it with some kind of, you will fill it with some kind of idolatry. You will fill it with the junk food of this world. St. Augustine said, O oh Lord, You have made us for Yourself, and our hearts are restless till they find rest in You. What I'm saying is, here's a young man at the top of his game, and yet empty on the inside. He comes to Jesus with the right question. Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? I want to pause here. Make sure you get this. Because two things are totally clear from this story. Money is not enough. And religion is not enough. Here's a young man we can all admire. A young man of good character. A hard worker. He obeyed God's law. He had risen to the top of the heap. He had everything that in his day the world said you should have. Yet he was empty. He saw his need. He came to Jesus. As the story opens, he 
is so close. He is so close to the kingdom. We're told when Mark gives his version of the story, he adds an interesting detail. He says, as Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. That's this young man. He's desperate. He's sincere. He is speaking for his generation. Tell me what to do. Tell me. What do I need to do? Tell me. And I will do it. He's wrong on two counts. Number one, he's wrong to think there was something he could do to gain entrance into heaven. And number two, he was wrong to think he could do it if only he knew what it was. So, here's the question. Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, here comes Jesus' answer. All you good Word of Lifers who have learned here at Word of Life how to share the Gospel. How many of you have ever had somebody say to you, I want to know how to go to heaven. And you've ever said anything like, why do you call me good? There is no one good but God. This is a bump in the story. A bump. It's a bump in the story. And for 2,000 years, people have wondered about this. Because look, here's the case where you've got a young man who comes to Jesus with the right question. Right? What must I do to inherit eternal life? And, And we all, look, we're life, we know what to do. Open the Bible to the book of Romans. Romans 3.10, Romans 3.23, Romans 6.23, Romans 5.8. Romans, just walk them right through the Romans, uh, the Romans road. Lead, we know how to lead people to Jesus. What's going on here? What is this? It, it's almost as if Jesus is baffled. Uh, what do you mean, why do you call me good? What, what kind of question is that? It's like, he doesn't get it. He doesn't know. He doesn't understand. And some people have wondered, is Jesus saying, why do you call me good? There's no one good but God. Is Jesus saying, I'm not God? No, 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 no. No, look, here's what's going on. This young man rather flippantly calls him good teacher. Good teacher. Good teacher. Hey, prof, what's up? Hey, teach. What's It's like that. Good teacher. And Jesus is calling him on it. He's taking the word good literally. Young man, do you know who you're talking to? Stop being polite. I am not just a good teacher. First key point in the answer. If you want to go to heaven, you've got to know who Jesus is. Alright? So that's the first part of the answer. Then comes the second part. You know the commandments. Okay, what are they? He doesn't give all ten, but he gives them these. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. Don't bear false witness. And the last one is honor your father and mother. These are the commandments that have to do with how you treat other people. It's as if the young man's going, give me the list. And Jesus is going, look, God gave Moses the list 1,500 years ago on Mount Sinai. Let's just start with that list right here. Check yourself out with that list. And let me know how you're doing. Okay? Here's his answer back. The young man goes, verse 21, All these things I have kept since I was a boy. It's interesting to me. That's quite an answer. 
He's basically saying, I've been morally perfect since I was a boy. And, and what's interesting is, Jesus doesn't rebuke him. Jesus doesn't tell him he's wrong. This young man clearly has no lack of confidence. I mean, that's one of the reasons he's become rich at a young age. He, he's a go-getter. He goes after it. All these things I've kept since I was a boy. And I want to say, probably true from an outward point of view. But listen, listen. Whenever anybody says, whenever anybody says, I have perfectly kept the Ten Commandments from the beginning of my life until now, there's two things you know for sure. Number one, he doesn't know anything about the real meaning of the Ten Commandments, and he doesn't really know anything about himself. Okay. What did Jesus say? You remember. You have heard that it was said, do not commit adultery. But I say to you, if you look upon a woman to lust after her, you've committed adultery already in your heart. What does he mean? Adultery never starts on the outside. It always starts on the inside. That outside stuff, that external act, that's just the logical end result of a whole lot of disobedience and a whole lot of sin and a whole lot of evil choices on the inside. Let me say that again. Adultery never starts on the outside. It always starts in here. Jesus said, you have heard, do not commit murder. But I say to you, if you get angry at your brother, you've committed murder already in your heart. Say to your brother, you you fool! Murder! Raka! You moron! Murder! You idiot! Murder! There are millions of murderers. Millions of murderers who've never picked up a gun and never pulled the trigger. But they've murdered in their heart. Murder never starts on the outside. It always starts on the inside. And that actual physical murder is just the end result of what started way down in here. Jesus is saying, wait a second, buster. You're not as hot as you think you are. Then Jesus drops the bombshell. This is Luke 18, verse 22. Okay, kid, you think you are really, really good. You still Lack one thing. Wow. You know what that's like? That's like saying, that's like saying to a boxer, you're the greatest 14 round boxer in the world. However, boxing matches go 15 rounds and you stink in the 15th round. That's like saying, you're the greatest painter since Rembrandt, except you can't do anything with blue. You're terrible with blue. You stink with blue. One thing you lack. If you're taking notes, write this down because it's important. If you want to go to heaven, it's not what you've got that counts. It's what you lack. If this story teaches us anything, it's that having it all is not enough. Along with many, many other people, 
I was very saddened last month at the news that Anthony Bourdain had taken his own life at the age of 61. If you watch, uh, you've seen him on TV, acclaimed chef, a gifted writer, an amazing communicator, rose to fame in the last 15 years through his TV show, No Reservations, and then more recent years, Parts Unknown. And I enjoyed Anthony Bourdain. I, he'd go to Morocco, up into the mountains, and go with, go with those folks up in the mountain and eat that food out there. And he'd go into, he'd go in the back country of Vietnam, and he'd get on the, get on those boats in Hong Kong Harbor, and he'd go into Mongolia, and he'd go across Europe, and he was a great storyteller, and, and a great presence. At the age of 61, in France, last month, Seemingly at the top of his game, he took his own life. And after that news broke, I got, he's, he's written several books, but I got, I got, I bought the book that is most famous. It sold over a million copies that he wrote. Uh, I, I couldn't exactly recommend it to you because it's, uh, brutally honest. He's very cynical. He is a fantastic communicator, great writer. You can hardly put it down, actually. He doesn't hide his drug use. He doesn't hide his alcohol. He doesn't hide his sexual escapades. And he describes that in quite some detail of himself and his friends. And, and, and you would say, here's somebody who, who you know, pedaled to the metal or pushed the throttle forward. That's the way he lived flat out. This is one thing he said. Your body is not a temple. It's an amusement park. Enjoy the ride. Something else he said. A little more reflective. Maybe that's enlightenment enough to know that there's no final resting place of the mind. No moment of smug clarity. Perhaps wisdom is realizing how small I am and unwise how far I have yet to go. When the New York Times published his obituary last month, they quoted his mother who had been a writer for the times, Gladys Bourdain. And his mother said, quote, He is absolutely the last person in the world I would ever have dreamed would do something like this. And then she said, He had everything. Success beyond his wildest dreams. Money beyond his wildest dreams. I want to say two things and then just move on. Number one, it's worth all of us thinking about. You never really know what another person's going through, do you? You never really know. If you live long enough, you learn that the hard way. Behind every smiling face, there's a story. Behind the riches, the wealth, there's a story. There's heartache and there's tears. You watch somebody on TV, you see them written up in People magazine. And they're talked about. There's more going on there than meets the eye. You never know what another person is going through. The other thing, I just go back to what Gladys Bourdain said. He had everything. Success beyond his wildest dreams. Money beyond his wildest dreams. Having it all is not enough. One thing you lack, Jesus said to this young man. One thing you lack, 
What a rebuke to a, to a rich young ruler who kept God's law on the outside. What a rebuke. Well, Jesus, if it's not enough, what do you want me to do? Matthew 19.21, this is what Jesus said. If you want to be perfect, that is right with God, go, sell your possessions, give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, then come, follow me. This is another case of the right question and apparently the wrong answer. How many of us in our evangelism have ever said to a lost person, you want to be saved? Take all your money, sell everything you've got, give it to the poor, and then come follow Jesus. We never say anything like that. But that's what Jesus said here. And so people wonder, it's another bump in this story. So so how are we supposed to understand this? Basically this. This is the only time Jesus ever gave anybody this answer. And why did He give it to this man? Because money was this man's problem. Jesus knew it. Money was this man's problem. Take a look at this. i got a few bills up here. Which my wife gave me. True, true. I got my buddy Andrew Jackson up here looking out at you. Now look, this stuff is hypnotic. This stuff is mesmerizing. Money by itself is morally neutral. By itself, this is just ink on pieces of paper. But watch what I'm about to say. This stuff, this is a good servant but a terrible master. Money is a good servant, but a terrible master. That is why Jesus said to this young man, you've got to sell all that you have and give it to the poor because this man had taken his money and made it his God. But you cannot worship God and mammon. I didn't make the rules. Jesus made those rules. Now I gotta tell you something. I tell you something. I gotta put this away. Because if I didn't put this away, you wouldn't hear another word I said. You wouldn't look at me for the rest. This stuff is hypnotic. It's, it's crazy. How much power, money, let a man hold up some bills, you can't take your eyes off money. That's how crazy money is. That's how it works. I gotta put it away so I can finish my sermon. So, the most hopeful part of the story, watch this, Matthew 19.22 tells us that when the young man heard what Jesus said, he turned away, and it says he went away very sad because he loved his money. He turned away sad. Because he was very wealthy. But wait a minute, Mark even adds something else. Mark adds, that the young man heard what Jesus said, and as he turned away, his face fell. And he went away, head down and face sad. This is why I call it hopeful. Because he heard what Jesus said. He understood what Jesus meant. He wasn't ready to pay the price. 
And what happens at this point in the story? And folks, some of you really need to hear what I'm about to say. What happened at this point in the story? Jesus let him walk away. He didn't make a deal. He didn't go running after him. He didn't say, hey, hey, wait, let's negotiate. Tell you what, you give 30%. You can keep 70. He didn't say, just be willing to give it all in your heart and that'll be okay. He let him walk. Sometimes you've got to love somebody enough to let them go. By the way, we all ought to ponder this story on several levels. We're all, all of us here today, we're all like the rich young ruler. Let me ask you two questions real quickly. How rich are you? Don't answer. How rich do you feel? Probably not very. How much did your family, all income in your family, how much did you make in the last year? If you made $60,000 household income, all sources, last year, you're in the upper 0.2% of the whole world. You made more at sixty grand than 99.8% of the whole world. 50000 upper 0.3%. 40000 upper 0.6%. Go all the way down to 20000 And I'll bet there are very few of us who made only 20000 last year. You're in the upper 4%. At 20000 You've made more than 96% of the people on planet Earth. $10,000, if that's all you made, you're in the upper 16%. You made more than 84% of the people in the world. Why? Because 22% of the whole world lives on a buck twenty-five a day. 34% lives on $2 a day or less. Got one of these? You're rich. Got one of these laptop thingies? Got an iPad? You're rich. Uh, did you sleep in a bed last night? You're rich. You got a car? You're rich. You have more than one change of clothes? You're rich. By the way, just be clear. I'm not saying this is not about me shaming anybody. I'm just pointing out a fact. So let me just make it, let me just talk about me. Clearly, by this standard, I'm rich. Clearly, by this standard, I'm in the upper 1% of all the people in the world. Do you live in the U.S.? You are, by virtue of being in the U.S., in the upper 1% of the world. We are rich. And I am not asking anybody to feel bad about your money, but it does raise a question. It does raise a question. And Jesus answers it. How hard it is, Jesus says, to enter the kingdom of God. Indeed, He says, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. A big, smelly camel. You ever go to the Holy Land, you'll get many chances to ride one of those big, smelly camels. They do smell. And they are big. The camel was the biggest animal in ancient Israel. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for the rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And you may have heard that there's something about the camel kneeling down and going through one of the narrow... That's not what it means. It's not. No, 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 no. That is not what Jesus means. The word there for eye of the needle, it's a surgeon's needle. 
Take the big smelly camel and try to force the big smelly camel through that tiny surgeon's needle. You can't do it. You're supposed to laugh. It's a joke. The disciples got it. And it scared them. Verse 26, Okay, Lord, who then can be saved? They got the point. Verse 27, With man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Here then, at the very end now, here is the good news of the Gospel. Here is how all of us, me included, this is how all of us are going to go to heaven. Even rich people can be saved if they will give up their trust in their riches. Bill Self was pastor for many years in Atlanta. He tells the story of a friend whose son was killed in the crash of an F-14 airplane. His friend said to him, Bill, once you lose your son, you find out there's no such thing as serious money. Life and death are serious. Money is not. One final little detail and we're done. Mark adds, and only Mark says this, as the man is going away, rich young ruler, top of his game, empty heart. Only Mark adds, Jesus loved him. Jesus loved him. He knew he was sincere. He knew he wanted eternal life. Jesus knew his wealth was holding him back. Jesus told him the truth. And then let him walk away. Will we see Him in heaven? I don't know the end of the story. New Testament doesn't tell us the end of the story. But there is, it's, there is an ancient tradition, not found in the New Testament, but it goes almost all the way back to the beginning. Ancient tradition that says this rich young man left sorrowful and thought about what Jesus said and later gave it all up. Became a follower of Christ. Will we see Him in heaven? I don't know. I hope so. Two things I'm sure of. Number one, money is not the issue. Jesus is the issue. Number two, religion is not the issue. Jesus is the issue. Do you, do you, do you know Him? You never know where He's going to show up. If you've been here to hear me speak before, you know that uh, some years ago I wrote a little gospel book for Moody Publishers in Chicago called An Anchor for the Soul. I'm going to talk about that later this week, but I talk about it every time I, I come here to Word of Life. It's a gospel book. It's been in print for about 18 years now. Over a million copies in print. We've given away over 800,000. Probably a half million of those have gone into prisons. We went into partnership with Prison Fellowship and Good News Jail and Prison Ministries. And uh, we've received over 12,000 letters from prisoners just like this. All of them handwritten. They don't have computers. Some of them much longer than this. All of them handwritten. Some of them barely legible. I mean, if I stacked all the letters up, they'd go way over my head. Most of them saying, thank you for the book and I came to Christ as a result. This letter came in about six weeks ago, okay? My name is Leroy. I am currently incarcerated in, and he names a jail in Missouri. I have just finished reading your book, An Anchor for the Soul. 
Then he says, I have read many religious books in my past. And then listen to how he puts it. The reason for this is that I have been trying to find my place in religion. Nobody's ever said that to me before. I've been trying to find my place in religion. I have tried being a Baptist and it didn't fit me. (laughs) He goes on. I tried being a Catholic and a Mormon and came up with the same feeling. I don't fit. I'm going to stop and say, I appreciate. That's a very ecumenical approach. (laughs) Baptist, Catholic, Mormon. That's a, that's a big, that's a lot of waterfront right there. That's a, that's a big, uh, you've gone a long way from Baptist to Catholic to Mormon. Theological differences aside, okay? So he's tried it all and it hasn't worked. Let's read what he says. After reading your book, I came to realize that all this time I have been looking for a place and what I should have been looking for is a person. And he says, in parenthesis, Jesus Christ. Now I go through my days with the understanding that all I need to do is believe in Jesus Christ. I don't have to believe in a religion, just Him. Jesus Christ. And he spells it out all three times. I realized I was allowing my religion to get in the way of my faith. Thank you so much for helping Jesus Christ lead me in the right direction. Last sentence. The last thing I would like to say is to your readers and listeners, please do not allow your religion to get in the way of your faith. He's right. He's right. Whether you have got all the world says you need to have, or you got nothing, and you're behind bars. Money is not the answer. Religion is not the answer. Jesus is the answer. Do you know Him? Do you know Him? Run to the cross. Run to the cross, my dear friends. Lay hold of Jesus who loved you, who died for you, who rose from the dead. Run to the cross and trust in Him. It's the greatest, best decision you will ever make. Do you know Him? You never know where He will show up. Come to Christ. It's the one decision you will never regret. Let's pray. Our Father, You have promised bread for the hungry, rest for the weary, May those who hunger be filled with the bread of life. May the weary find the rest only Jesus can give. Forgive us, Lord, for loving money so much that we have no room for You. Grant that we might realize our deepest need so that You can provide for us the one thing we lack. A personal relationship with Jesus. It is in His name that we pray. Amen. Thanks for joining us today. This podcast is made possible through the support of listeners like you. Come see us on the internet at www.keepbelieving.com. We'd love to hear from you this week. 
Join us for the next podcast from Keep Believing Ministries.